right, where do we want to go today? Want to do something more tactical this episode? Uh, I feel like the last episode was amazing. It was super themed around the whole landscape, social media, all of the branding and stuff like that. Now we want to give more tactical tips on how to take advantage of that landscape that we talked about last week. I run an agency, you run a coaching program, we pretty much have all the insight, we cover all the bases, and we probably see a lot on the day-to-day that most people don't see. This is going to be the um, what Popsiana calls the IPM, the IPM episodes. It's the insights per minute episode. So we're going to just throw out many ideas. And just disclaimer, I would not implement everything we say. Take what's useful, discard what's not. But if there's anything that you're like, oh, that's a five-minute tip that I can implement now that can make me more money, why wouldn't you? But not everything. You know what's uh, actually a good tip for this podcast would be the same tip that I uh, that I got from Brian Mankato when he goes to um, he goes to a lot of big mastermind events, the Sam Ovens events, Jeremy Haynes, Cole Gordon, etc. Uh, and he would go like on day one or day two, and he would get a big golden nugget, and he wouldn't even go to the last day of the event. He would spend that last day of the event implementing the nugget that he got from that first day. I'm like, I feel like that's how you can listen to this podcast. You listen until you get a really big nugget that solves one of your pain points, and then you just click off. I know it's bad for, it's bad for, uh, yeah, it's not bad for channel. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, click off, go implement it, and then come back. Um, I feel like that'd be better then because we're going to have nuggets that are going to be good for some people and then not great for others, but then other people will probably get some more insight for something else. Let's roll. So real quick for people who are just describing this one, how much do you make a month with your client and your agency? My agency does 65K a month. My clients do about 250K a month. So that's the, uh, that's the discrepancy. So if you ever want to make uh, a lot of money in an agency, just make your clients five times more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to take this, uh, no, it's not the Lexing Cash program. Now it does around seven figures from mostly Twitter organic. We've never run out until now, but we can get into how running ads. It's actually quite fun. Uh, and yeah. our clients make, well, a few hundred thousand dollars a month. I, I haven't measured it, but let's kick it off. what you got? Yeah. I want to go into like the math side of it. Um, I was thinking a lot about this. I'm like, it's always so easy when you say like social media is math or like business is math. It's very easy to do outputs and inputs. Um, in terms of quantity, um, numbers of DMs, numbers of calls, numbers of tweets, et cetera, right? But it's kind of hard to measure quality. And I feel like nobody has anything that talks about measuring quality. Um, and when I say quality, I'm like, how many profile visits did you get? How many inbound leads did you get from that tweet? Um, how many followers did you gain from that tweet? What was the engagement rate percentage? Why was that tweet successful in any of those metrics, right? How many lines was the tweet? What was the tweet about? There's right, because when you're like, this tweet did well, why did it do well? Like, what are you measuring it by? Right, and it's a harder question to, to answer, which is why not, not as many people talk about it, is the why aspect to it. Um, and we found some good ways to track those things uh, in terms of, of quality, because the quantity, like I said, it's easy. It's just how many DMs did you send? How many replies did you get? And then you tweak it, and it's very simple. Um, but in terms of quality, you can do the same thing uh, if you break it down into content pillars and if you break it down into the way that you write that content, right? So if you have, let's say you have the five content pillars, which I've talked about in the past, let's just take one, right? Let's just take um, like social proof, like a case study. Maybe it'd be better if you like go over what the five are. Like right, right. So these are my five tentative that I'm going to continue. And why are they important? Right. So these are the five content pillars, in my opinion, that cover everything for a personal brand on X. Um, so that's going to be, and let's see if I have it memorized still, 
expertise. So your expertise, your niche, whatever. Uh, social proof, case studies, et cetera, testimonials, whatever. Um, trending. So whatever's trending in your industry. So as you saw last week, what did me and JK talk about X? Because it was trending in industry, right? Obviously, we're going to take advantage of that organic SEO in our content. Um, opinions. Opinions is a big one. What is your unique perspective? What do you think about your industry? What sets you apart, right? What is makes you different on everything? And what's your viewpoint that people can get behind? And then the last one is um, personal. So your story, your life, the behind the scenes, that stuff matters, right? To, you have to be human, um, especially in this day and age when AI is starting to take over, you really have to be parts. You really have to have personal stuff because if you haven't seen, if you, look on the, if you look on the timeline, it's just stuffed with uh, people talking about things without offering A, their opinion, or B, the personal aspect to it, how it affects them and or how it's affecting their life. Uh, and that's what kind of kills a brand. And that's how you build a following without any substance. Um, so those are the five content pillars uh, right now, tentatively. And I think those the reason that I, it's those five is because it covers everything. Um, I don't think there's, I think you could argue that memes is a content pillar, um, but I'll, I'll consider that for now under the uh, personal side. Um, so let's just take case studies, right? And you post a case study and it's a case study thread and that thread has 10 tweets in it and the hook is three lines. And now you split test that exact case study against another version of the case study with five lines in the hook with 15 tweets and there's pictures in every tweet, right? With, with examples or videos in every tweet with examples, right? You can now split test the quality of those, but not just how many likes did it get? Because that's the problem. People think likes equals cash. They don't. That's why you listen to this podcast. So, that's right. How many, how many profile visits did you get? That's important. How many comments did you get? That's important. How many inbound leads did you get? Because if you're doing a case study thread, you have to have a call to action in there, right? DM me if you're this person. How many inbound leads did you get, right? So you might find that the one with the videos might get a ton more engagement, but not as many DMs. And you might find that the one that was short and sweet with no videos and no pictures gets no engagement, but you got three times as many DMs, right? So you can measure the quality of those against each other. And you can do this within every content pillar, within every type of content. You can do all five content pillars. You can do threads. You can do tweets. You could do um, long form posts. You can do um, videos. You can do all of that just in those each content pillar, right? Um, so quick you- question on that, because I'm a type of person sometimes that I'm like, I understand the importance of split testing, and I know it's key to track everything, but I'm not going to fucking do it. It's too much work. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just create more. And that's been my my approach. Let's just do more, and something will happen. How do you how do you track these things? I mean, how can someone who's like, oh, JK, I felt that because I don't track anything. How can they kind of take advantage of that? Well, there's two, it's a two, two parts to that question, right? Number one is, the reason that you opt for more is because more is easier than better. Um, and if I had to say you had to pick one or the other, I would say do more. Um, but if you want to be the best, you have to do more and better. And that's where you get the anomalies like the Mr. Beast, right? He does the more and the better, right? He's the guy that's split testing a hundred thumbnails against each other. And he's spending the most money on videos and he's has the most frequency because he has 20 channels, right? Like that's how he's ascends, right? So, you know, a couple ways that you can get past this, right? One, you can hire an agency like me who's going to do more and better, right? Or you can do a VA like I also have, right? I have an executive assistant who I, so what I'll do is I'll go and find the tweets that I want to split test. 
and I'll have her actually break it down by word count, line count, everything uh, for me in a spreadsheet. And then all I have to do is look at it. Right? That's easy. <laughs> what are what are some that idea for you? Really, I don't track anything. Yeah. Well, because what you what you taught me is that the power of having um, an assistant putting things in a spreadsheet, like the audience questions. Uh, which for uh, if you get any nugget from this, I've been doing this for the past four months, and it's made my content ten times faster to create. Is um, I have my assistant use go into my read AI, which is the thing that tracks all my calls. Um, go into the key questions part and just copy and paste all of my key questions into a spreadsheet, um, as well as questions I'm asked in Slack and Twitter, et cetera, and DMs. And they're all in a spreadsheet. So each week I can just answer those questions in the forms of tweets. When I onboard a new client, I like that you said that because I asked them, why did you join? Around 20% of people say, because I felt like you were speaking to me. Like I felt like you understood the problem. And that's big in my opinion, because once you understand the problem, I feel like the more you understand the problem, the more you can get away with not having that strong of an offer. Because then your offer doesn't become, I'm going to create a lot of pluses. I'm just going to remove this one big negative that I already proved to you with my content that I understand. So when you collect these questions, I don't also do that. My assistant goes over my questions that I get on the comment, wherever. And I tell her, if some, get the comments of people who are in my niche, because if they're not in your niche, you're or your drug and market, doesn't matter. Get the people who are in my niche that are not trying to form my account for engagement. Like the legit, legit questions. Get those. And that becomes a content. So I don't really ideate a lot. Like she's the one that gives me the ideas and I kind of rip off it. Is that what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, and just back on what you said with, you know, not everyone has the time or wherewithal to do it. Then it's the same as like when you're building a business. Um, and I learned this from Ryan, right? You do a high leverage, high ROI tasks. So what's the highest leverage, highest ROI split test or content tracking that you can do, right? So if it's just how many inbound leads can you get, you can now split just, just inbound leads on just case study threads or just personal threads. Like that's pretty low. If you can't even do that, then you might just be lazy, right? So it's just like if you just do it you know, once a week or twice a week and just track them against each other, then that's a way that's a low barrier way to do it and you're tracking the highest roi task which is inbound leads you know you don't have to track profile visits and everything like that unless you're me but that's a low barrier way to do it because inbound leads is directly into cash so that's pretty high roi so that that would be my advice to someone who doesn't have as much time to do it and a caveat to this one if you're listening and you're starting out you're like oh that's a lot it's like yes it's a lot and i'd say it is something that's more of a 30k a month problem it's something you do once you've already got the clients and you've already got the leverage and you have money to spend on an assistant, on a team. If you're below that, I would say just do more and a little bit more after that. Like an example I'll give for this is fitness. So I've been, I've been trying to cut weight for a long time. And something that stressed me out for the longest time was tracking calories. It's so annoying. I hate it. It's like, oh, this one, this day I had ketchup and sauce. So I said, how can I? still lose weight, still kind of enjoy my diet and not track the calories. And I kind of had right to more of an extreme answer, which was instead of tracking little increments, what is the one big activity I can do every week that will allow me to make those little things irrelevant? So for me personally, what I do is I don't eat on Mondays. Mondays are just not eating big. And I just, you know, do my thing. I do all my calls because when you're call when you're doing calls, you don't really think about 
right? So then, because I had so much action in that day or so much not eating and so much calorie budget in that day, along the week, I can just put ketchup on my stuff. Maybe I can have a drink, right? So it doesn't matter because I did a lot. I call this, you can you can track or you can chat it. You can track it or you can chat it. So I'm like, in the beginning, I'd rather just chat it. Just do more of what's required. These are 30 came up from. In the beginning, just do more. I think that's enough. Yeah, and I like um, you know, the sales page that you did with the with the car wheels, because um, I do think you know from three or zero to thirty k, twenty to thirty k, um, a lot of times it's just like there's one, there's just one big problem that's holding them back from that. Um, I've I've even seen it with clients where it's like the only thing holding them back is just like just it's just closing problem or it's just um you know, an outbound DM frequency problem, right? It could be like one problem that gets you to 30K a month. Um, whereas above 30K, 50K, even 100K a month, it becomes very much, um, it could be quality, it could be like multiple problems, um, different bottlenecks. But yeah, zero to 30K, the do more and not, and sometimes even the do better because like sometimes you could just, if you book 10 calls a week and you can't close one, then you probably just need to be better at sales, right? So it's like... Um, like There's a good transition to... This is a good transition to my tip. I'll, we can do this. I'll go. I'll do one. You do one, and then we can take a break. Yeah, I think it's fun. So one tip. Yeah, one thing I believe everybody would benefit a lot is coming up with analogies that allow you to address objection. Analogies that allow you to address objection. So I'll tell you one objection that we get often. It's outbound DMs hurts the brand. If I do DMs, I'm gonna hurt my brand. But that's a common. So I thought, what is one way I can break this belief so that they wouldn't have it? And if I said it, it just didn't have power. But once I came up with an analogy, it people understood it. So the way I thought of, about this is, let's say you need milk. So you go to Walmart. Like, have you ever gone to Walmart, Marcos? And you're like, you know that the clerks know exactly where what you want is. But you instead spend and waste 10 minutes of your life wandering instead of simply, you know, asking them where the milk is. Like, I do that. I don't know if you do that. My girlfriend wants to kill me every time I do it. She's like, just ask. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's from the Russians. Yeah, no, man. I can't, I can't do it, baby. I got to figure out. Must figure out the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, uh, I do that all the time. Well, sometimes in restaurants, right? So if I order a path and... I want to eat pasta, but that night they bring me steak. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to change it because I'm shy. I'm just going to be like, well, fuck it. I'm eating steak tonight. Like, that's just how it is. But back to the Walmart example. Like, let's say if you, if the clerk didn't approach you, you were going to waste minutes of your time. Whereas if they approach you and you're like, hey, can I help you with anything? That's like 100% chance that you're going to ask, oh, yeah, actually, where's the milk? Did you think of the clerk as lazy? No. Did you think less of the Walmart bread because he approached you? No. So why would outbound DMs to people who already follow you be any different? You're better than all of your followers at something. They follow you for a reason. So why not ask, do you want help? Because some people are just too afraid to ask. I like, find that when I tell this story, right? Right? When I tell that, people go, oh, that makes sense. Right? There's another one I have I have right here I'm talking. But let's see. Yeah, uh, Jordan Pippen. So, for example, I say that we get very caught up in what do I do? Sometimes you're like, I'm in the wrong business model. 
and you want to change stuff and you're so stressed and you want to try different offer suites and ways to get clients. Whereas I believe that there's only two things you can tweak. And it's either you either tweak the Jordan of your business or you tweak the Pippin of your business. So how does that work? Pippin is the playmaker. He creates the thing. So he will uh, pass you the ball. He'll alley-oop. That's content. That's you creating possibilities for scoring, but it's not scoring itself. Whereas Jordan is the one who scores. It's the DMs, right? So when you look at that, when you look at your game, and it's like, I want to score right now. What am I missing? Am I missing plays in which content, you can create more content, make more videos, something that will make people like it and be like, I'm interested in this. Or you can take the Jordan thing, which is I already have the content. I already have a lot of people engaging with it. I can just, you know, send more DMs and score more because the play is already created. So when I show that image, people go, oh, I'm missing here. I'm missing there. That's another analogy that's really useful because you can only tweak two things. It also works with cold and hot water. So you're in the shower and there's you want the temperature you want. Well, there's only two things to tweak. You either make it colder or you make it hotter. That's all you right? So it's like, which of the two levers are you missing? And if you focus on that, that kind of helps me take clients' attention and focusing on the right thing. That's another one. And the third one, to bring it full circle to what you said about the car, it's I feel like in a coaching business, right, to get to the right camp, there's only four things you can focus on. It's uh, either, you know, get more followers so you can mess more people. You get lead flow up so you get them on the call. You get more buyers, which is working your offer and on the calls, and more repeat buyers, people who stay. And I used to have these four mechanisms. I could never make it three. And the coaching program I'm in, they told me, make it three because it's easier to remember. But I just couldn't. I just like, no, all four are important. So I thought about what if we show it as a car? So I say car, it has four tires in which each is followers, leads, buyers, and repeat buyers. And what I do on the sales skills, when I made, I made my sales team buy a fucking iPad for this. I want you guys to take the car and paint the wheels. This one is red. This one is green. This one's green. This one's green. So we tell people, this is what you're missing. And this is why your business is not growing. Because you're not focusing on the bad tire. If you get a flat tire, you're not going to change the good tire. You're going to change the flat one. Changing the good tire does nothing. If you have a bunch of followers but no leads, then getting more followers will change nothing. You got to focus on the lead flow. And it allows me to focus the prospect's attention into the actual issue. So I feel like everybody who's kind of struggling right now with making prospects see the value of your offer, where you get too many objections and you're like, you see it and to you it's obvious, but they don't see it. I would say come up with an analogy that allows you to explain it and that will kind of position the prospect in the same perspective as you. And you will be able to close more deals because you explained it in a way that's coherent and makes sense to them. So analogies is huge in my business and I do it all the time. And I think everybody could benefit from that. Yeah, I think it's one of the first things I learned when I started my business was uh, the analogy that you popularized with. um, It was getting people followers and it was the objection that um, what if you don't get my target audience? And the way to handle that objection was Building an audience is like sifting through gold. You get a bunch of sand and you have the little sift and you have to sift, sift, sift. You get a ton of sand first, so a ton of followers, and then you sift through the gold and you find the ones that are going to be interested in your offer, et cetera, right? Um, that was a great objection to handle back in the day. Um, now my objection handle, I get an objection all the time is people, because you know naturally as I go up the ladder and target higher and higher individuals, they're 
more cautious with their brand. You know, a lot of people we target already have a following of tens or hundreds of thousands. So it's like they don't want to relinquish that connection with their audience. Um, and so one of the objections, and this is this was actually more of an epiphany that I had uh, when I read Shoe Dog, um, is that some of my favorite books, some of my favorite music, and you could argue even movies, right, are all written by ghostwriters, right? So Shoe Dog by Phil Knight was written by a ghostwriter, and it's the best memoir I've ever read. Um, some of the best songs that Justin Bieber or Drake have sung or rapped have been written by Pharrell Williams or 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 Sia. Um, and then, you know, even movies, right? They're not writing their own scripts half the time. You know, the, the main character, right? You see Oppenheimer. It wasn't written by Killian Murphy, right? But Killian Murphy is the face of that line. So, and I think Whitney Houston, like, uh, what's the, and I will always love you? That's not hers, I think. Correct. And, you know, you look at Mr. Beast, right? Like, you think he's writing every script? He has a full team behind him writing all of those scripts. He's just the one saying it. Uh, so that was kind of my epiphany. And I'm like, if all of these amazing pieces of art can be put out with ghostwriters, so can, so can Twitter, so can X, so can every other platform, LinkedIn. Um, it just needs to be done correctly in a, in a tasteful way that actually resonates with that person and that person's audience and that person's personality, which is a skill in and of itself, right? Some of these ghostwriters are extremely, extremely talented. Um, so that was my, that was kind of an epiphany for that's me. Good. And that's Jack and Yeah, I mean, like, what are they going to argue with? They're going to argue with Drake, Mr. Beast, Killian Murphy, and 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 uh, Phil Knight? You can't argue with that, right? So yeah, like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't like Shoe Dog. Oh, but you know Nike, right? And yeah, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's good. I like that analogy. Is there any other interesting analogy you tell in your business? Um, I couldn't think of another one off the top of my head, but when you said the Jordan and Pippen one, it kind of sparked one for me um, in a different way. So, you know, all of our clients are, you know, big, successful people. They're essentially the Jordans of the world. Uh, but Michael Jordan, if you don't know anything about basketball, Michael Jordan has six championships, right? He went 6-0 and in finals. For the first eight years of Michael Jordan's career, he never made the NBA Finals. Zero times. Until Scottie Pippen joined the Chicago Bulls. Then Michael Jordan went on and won six finals. So even Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, to some, I'm a LeBron guy, could not win an NBA Finals without a Scottie Pippen. So you might need a Scottie Pippen to push you over the edge to be that champion. So hire my agency. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I dig it. The analogies are powerful. Like when you were telling that story, and before you were like, "Yo, hire me," I was like, "Oh my god, what? Is, where's he going?" Like, I was like so into the story. I was like, "What's he gonna say?" <laughs> All right. What else you got? It's your turn for the tip. That was really good. Yeah. Um, I like it. Yeah. You know, I really I like the so yeah the analogies. So you said I actually wanted to. This is. It's my segment, but I'm going to ask you. Uh, what did you mean by affiliate? Dude, affiliate, I just had a call today in which it's a, it's a growth program. You know how I feel about those. But I realized I could either even shit on them or I could use them in a way that adds value to them and adds value. So I feel like the way people do affiliate, it's kind of messed up. And I feel like there is a way in which you can make a lot of money. with it. Even when I say affiliate, feels kind of weird but yeah affiliate marketing bro but here's how i do it i would say affiliates are really powerful if 
you can make them refer you deals in a way that's really easy to them. So, for example, what what do most people do? They go, hey, man, uh, here's my affiliate link. If you, anybody shows interest in my program, can you just send it to them? What will they say? Of course. And what they, will they do? Nothing. So what do you do instead? I have kind of this um, this uh, framework that I use to how to find affiliates to send you deals and actually follow through. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's an acronym. It's GIMP. So G I M B, which is gap incentivize, make it easy and know your boundaries. So gap incentivize, make it easy and boundaries. How does that work? So for example, me looking at this growth program, I wanted to identify first a gap. They're a growth program, which means that maybe they don't have the monetization angle nailed down. Maybe they were missing on how to create an offer. So I reached out to the owner. I said, this is what I run. This is how much my clients are making. This is what I can do for you. I can fill in that gap for you. And you can use me as a selling point, knowing that when people tell you, oh, but this is a growth program, it doesn't include any offers. You can use me as a way to address that objection. So I use that as, here's the gap that we're establishing. Second, incentivize. I'm, I'm going to pay them a referral fee for every, every person that joins. That's kind of normal. But you will also make your product more valuable because I'm filling in a gap that you didn't feel before and you don't have to do anything about it which is the third step making it easy there I said dude you do nothing just tell me what time and what day can I speak for an hour I send you the zoom link I'll do the integrations I'll do the you know the emails I'll create the powerpoint whatever I'll make it easy for you just tell me what time and tell people that I'm going to be live at this you make it easy making natural and then you just pitch your thing, right? Because you're filling in a gap. You incentivize them to have you on and tap into their traffic. And you make it easy for them because you're actually adding value. And you're like, I'm going to do everything. You do nothing. And the last one is knowing your boundaries. That hard pitching. If you get one call, one call. And you got to make that call good. Don't try to sell people on it. Don't try to hard pitch people on it. Because then you devalue the value of their program. It's not your brand that's suffering. It's also their so I did this today. I went to a growth program and I identified a gap. I incentivized them with money. I made it easy for them to have me on. And in the end, I said, if you want more help, you can just go. And I sent the link and I set up the boundaries. These guys said, this call that Jiggy had in this program was valuable. Thank you for bringing him on. Which means that I made money and he added to the value of this program. That is how you do it. Marcos did that too. So he... He identified a gap, which was, I'm involved in my program, but like sometimes I'm like, uh, I, I don't know much about what market knows, which is like a specialist, it's like Legion, right? So he identified that gap. He incentivized us by saying, hey, it's going to be free. I'm going to push for free. So I'm like, yeah, fuck it, why not, right? But, and then he made it easy because he, he was already in the Slack and he never stepped any boundaries. So it was just a natural transition. It was just a good affiliate deal. And I feel like if you could find ways, let's say you are a big influencer, right? You said, hey, you got people in your program, but maybe some people are interested in knowing about like the vegan stuff, right? Because it's a rising trend. What if I just go into your program and I talk about that? You do nothing. And whenever somebody tells you the objection of, oh, but I'm vegan, like, do you have something that worked for me? And then you can address that because you have me on the And then it makes so much more sense that you took an affiliate well. It's not just saying, hey, can you promote my link? It's finding ways that you can collaborate by GIMP, 
gap incentivizing, making it easy, and establishing boundaries. So that's how I do affiliate deals, and turned out pretty well. It was nice. I think uh, those guests, like uh, us, the affiliate deals aside, I think the guest speaking things are extremely valuable for for coaches, um, especially ones who run communities, uh, coaching, group coaching. Um, it just, it, you must know this, it increases retention like crazy. Like that, um, that was it Laura who came in and did that LinkedIn masterclass in tweets and clients. Like that was so valuable. It adds so much value to, to tweets and clients outside of what it already exists, which is, you know, the coaching calls and the actual, the course section, but those monthly or biweekly masterclasses that are people that are coming from outside that could, you're leveraging your network and your goodwill. Maybe you do a swap, right? Maybe you do something, maybe you just exchange value, but they come in and they do guest speeches. That really builds uh, the retention in the community. And I have a lot of clients that have community uh, group coaching programs, right? And I think those guest speeches are amazing. Um, I've done one in Dakota's Growth Ghosts. You had Laura do the LinkedIn masterclass in, in your thing. I've seen Client Ascension. I've had guys do like sales coaching, right? Like those are great. And I think those are underrated. And I think you know, as this space continues to evolve, I think those are going to be really important. I think it's, a, you know, a testament to both networking and the affiliates idea as well. Yeah. And the way, the way we kind of got these people in, I, I can't speak to a client session or, or Dakota, but what we said was come in and speak. There's this many people making this much money and you can keep, we'll keep this in the portal. So that will be evergreen connections and evergreen sales for you. So we pitched it like that. Not, hey, do you want to come and make a Zoom call? You know what I mean? There's got to there's gotta be something. I um, I don't know if I can announce it yet because I don't think he allowed me to, but there's one big LinkedIn influencer, you know, the big LinkedIn influencer. I'm really pumped for that. We're going to make a guest. Um, we're going to do kind of a Jordan Pippen thing. He's going to be Jordan like, uh, Pippen showing you how to create a place. I'm going to be the one showing you how to find a place. We're going to do a growth uh, event, or a uh, joint event in September. And the way we, I said that was, you do nothing. I set up all the integrations. We split the email subs in half. That is also a really good way to create email subs and have people opt in. And you add value to them as well. It's just a fun one. Because people, and by the way, people are more likely to consume events than they are to consume recordings. People want to show up to the thing. People want to come and like engage with you. And it's the same thing. They could watch a recording anyway. But if you can make it not a recording, but an event in which people show up, people actually show up way more and they consume and value your stuff way more. Yeah, I think um, that's probably why webinars work so well. Like Blake Rocha does those webinars. Um, and I think that's a that's a case for the webinars versus the VSLs is instead of having just an evergreen VSL, having like weekly or biweekly webinars that people feel obligated to show up to because they feel like they're missing something, right? Even if it's the same same webinar every two weeks as long as it's live there's they could be missing something right it's genuine fomo um that's the case that's a case for the webinars and it's true because people feel like the the weekly coaching calls are um always there for them right but uh they might feel like the, the person that's guest speaking once won't always be there for them and they want to ask their live question or something like that or they just want to get the information and implement it really fast um so i think they're really i want to ask you something about your team you have a really strong connection with your team. They're proud to rock your logo. They're really happy to be your agency. How I could never do that with my own agency. I just struggle with that. But how do you, and is there some actionable and tactical things people can take from 
how do you create this culture that people are like, yeah, I love being part of this person's agency because I feel like when you have someone who's just like actually working for you and your team, that's a way stronger incentive than just pay. So yeah. How do you do that? I think the first, like the first thing that I do is I don't say my agency, it's our agency, um, our mission, our goals, our clients. Uh, I've had, uh, if I ever say my, I try to correct myself because it's not just my agency. I don't do all the work in the agency, right? There's its team effort. Um, I might be leading the team, but I don't consider it my agency. So when people say, oh, you're making this much or your agency does this, I'm just like, it's like I cringe a little, you know what I mean? I, I, even in, in our team meeting, I say our this, our this, we this. Um, Let me guess, you also tell, you also say you, they don't work for you, they work with you. Exactly, with. Um I do say that it's it's just cringe. I don't know, like uh, maybe coming from the military, I've kind of uh, got really fond for the whole team effort thing. Um, and in in the military, right, like whoever's above you, there's someone above them. <laughs> so you know what I mean. Like there's always someone above above them in the military. Like even if it's your commander, like they're reporting to someone who is also reporting until you get to the president, uh, who's also low key reporting to someone. So it's just like. Uh, I kind of got it from that, but it was just, yeah, that's, that's number one. Um, and then number two is having, uh, missions outside of just money. Like I've seen other cultures that have done it well, incentivizing everything through money, but I feel like that's a means to an end. Um, money loses value very fast, right? So like at every level, even if you're at like three or 4k a month, if your living expenses are 2k a month, like, and you're just saving 2k a month the money becomes really like you kind of lose motivation. You just want to live your life. Right. So you can't just incentivize people with money forever, unless you get a team of just like all people who want to be millionaires, but then your churn's really high. Cause all they care about is money. So there's a, there's always a double-edged sword there. So for us, you know, I've always, I always built it more as a lifestyle incentive as incentive. Um, so for them, like I don't give them deadlines or anything like that outside of like the weekly deadline. Um, Everything is just, you can just get it done when you get it done, as long as it's done by the end of the week. So the lifestyle that they have is the opposite of a nine to five. It's, you can do it all on Monday for all I care. Is it done by the end of the week? And is the quality good? That's important. So I, I do internal feedback. And one of the internal feedbacks we got was, um, I love that it's not a traditional nine to five. I love that I can just do nothing for a day if I want. And I love that I can just grind for a day if I want. Um, that's what is your quality? Is it good though? What do you do? Sorry. What are the qualities in good? The qualities in good. Um, what if they mess up? If they mess up, like they do something that's clearly just bad, like typos, right? Like I hate typos and that's a big one for me. And I've had that problem. Um, I literally like, I don't say anything like I don't, there's no punishment, right? I'm just like, we can't have typos. Um, so I built a checklist, right? And the checklist is going to say, did you double check proofread for typos? And then I also have reminders set like, boom, I just implement two or three things that's going to go against that problem. If they then still have typos, they have no excuse. I don't really like say like, you know, strike one or strike two, but it's very, I'm not, I'm not like very friendly when it comes to things like that. I'm very on or off when it comes to seriousness and friendly. So I'm friendly like 90% of the time, but if there's a typo, there's a typo. That's a problem, right? Um, other than like typos and stuff, uh, when it comes to like quality of like, oh, is this thread good? I mean, 
that built their we we built their writing from the ground up, right? Like we all write the same now. So if it's not good, in my opinion, I I mean I do editing every week. I'm still the chief editor at my agency. Uh, so it's like I'm editing all of the content, and I'll record looms, and we'll we'll have uh, docs of before and afters. So. Um, I don't really look at the quality of the actual content, but things like typos or deadlines, that's a, that's a big deal to me. So um, I'm very hard when it comes to those things. I have a question when it comes to quality. And uh, I, I don't think he's going he's gonna to mind this. So I'm in, I'm in subscriber for Andrew Wilkinson's business subscribers. Patty Galloway, who's one of the guys that helped Mr. Beast, is one of them. He asked a question that I thought that question is really good and I have no idea how to answer it, which is, he's a creative mind. He is really good at just coming up with ideas wherever, right? And it is creative work. You do creative work and other coaches might do creative work. But when you hire someone to do creative work, it's hard because they don't they don't see what you see. They don't have the experiences you have. So how do you, how do you balance that as in, do you hire, do you do it all? What do you do? Yeah. Um... So Jeremy Moser gave me this idea and it was, um, this was kind of a shift for me. Uh, for one, I've relinquished the creative hat, uh, a while ago. I've, I mean, I've also had the same team since almost inception, right? So I haven't never had to fire a team member. Um, I, maybe I got lucky in my hiring. Um, but essentially they came in as raw, just writers with bare bones skills. Like they know how to write a thread. They understand what Twitter is. Right. They used the Twitter, the Twitter sphere. Um, but building them from the ground up, I think was important rather than trying to get people that are successful Twitter writers and then bringing them on, right? Very much from the ground up. And their pay has reflected that and increased month over month as they get better. Um, another one is just communicating. Instead of how I do things, you try to communicate how I think through things. Um, so when I'm writing or when I'm editing, what is my thought process to the edit? right? Why am I cutting these words? Am I trying to sound more direct? Am I trying to sound more authoritative? Why did I cut this? Why did I cut that adjective? Why did I add this picture? Why did I do that? That's more important than just doing it and trying to have them mirror what you're doing. Because if they're just trying to mirror what you're doing every time, it's going to get stale and repetitive. But if they understand why you did it, then they can then reapply that in a creative way themselves. Um, so the creative hat has been, I feel like it's been pretty past, I think it's been passed off pretty well. Um, I take, I still give my ideas very often. Um, like I have this idea for a thread hook, I had this idea for a hook, this idea. Um, and also the clients play a part in that too, which is a big thing in, in our space is, um, we have very collaborative approach with our clients. So the clients have ideas every week as well. Uh, so between me, the clients and the writers, it's a, it's a big collaborative process rather than just, Hey, writer, come up with everything and figure it out. And I'm going to edit it. Like that's not really yeah. how it you pointed out a mistake I had when I had my own agency, which is you hire ones and then you forget. Maybe if they're like top, top dog, but it's like, you know, at the beginning you can't afford that. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta look into ways to do that. And I thought that every time I recorded feedback for them, unlike you, that was a failure in my system. That was my lens. But for you, the way, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but the way I get it is that's the system. It's a continuous feedback. But for me, every time I gave them feedback, that was a failure. That was their failure. And I was really harsh. But you're like, no, this is a process that you got to walk yeah. through. And yeah, so it's just, um, 
NFT God says this, and I know his name's NFT God, but he's a big Twitter guy. Um, he says 1% better every day. Uh, that's important. I recently, I would say in quarter two, uh, we changed our client expectations a lot. Um, I used to just say in the first 30 days, we're going to try and get you uh, to like X revenue, right? Now I kind of set it out as more of a roadmap, 90-day roadmap. Um, you know, first we're trying to find angles that are going to hit. We're still going to get buyers, but we really want to find the angles that are going to hit. And then we want to double down on those angles in the, in the second 60 days and start to ramp up your numbers and increase the frequency on the angles that we discovered in the first 30 days. And then in that last in that last uh, 30 days, in the in the when it gets 60 to 90 days, we're going to try to scale on all of that and and hit maybe 100k added a month. Um, so it's more of a 90 day roadmap and beyond. Uh, so it really is trying to get better, a little bit better each time, a little bit more personal, a little bit deeper. Uh, you just can't you can't get so deep on a client in the first day or the first week, right? You slowly get deeper and deeper into the client's soul and get what they truly believe. And you slowly get deeper into your messaging and you find the angles that are going to hit with the audiences. You have to balance it, right? You have to balance the client personality and audience what they want, right? So if you can balance what the what the audience wants and what the client wants, then you can kind of have a sweet spot where you where you get results. I like that you clarified you're gonna get deep into the client soul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Whoa, this guy just, you know, taking your intimacy to a whole new level. Let's yeah. go. That's what we're in the business called onboarding process. I was like, whoa. All right, cool. I Two things that you uh, said that I thought was really good. Number one that I want to point out, it's the roadmap. I think that's overlooked a lot. When we pitch, because you don't want to pitch just one month program. You want to pitch three months, six months, several more programs where people actually stay. You know, that's repeat buyers, part of the equation. You don't want to, the way you word it is very important. People are not afraid of paying. They're afraid of committing. Let's say it's three months. You don't want to say hey, it's a three-month contract. That's scary. Contract is a bad word. You don't say You say, on day zero to seven, we're going to focus on this. Seven to 30, we're going to focus on this. And 30 to 90, we're going to focus to a point in which a day 90, you won't. So in that sense, it's like they're they're not... They're not, I mean, they're paying, yeah, but it's not that hard of a commitment. You know, it's like marriage is like kind of scary to like split half your cash and your life and spending a lot of people with people, where a lot of time with people. But it's like you got to massage it with, you know, same here with this. So the way we do it, it's zero to seven. You can do that for your own thing if you're listening to this. We're like zero to seven, we're going to set up the foundation. Zero to seven days. Seven to 30 days, we're going to focus on getting you quick wins so you can see the traction and see that this actually works. And then you frame it as, hey, it's quick win. And then 30 to 90, we're going to set up whatever system I have for you so that at the end, you won't need. At the end of day 90, and this is how we frame up the second sale, at the end of, fr- uh, at the end of day 90, you're going to have everything you need to do it on your own. And then at that point, you're going to have a choice. You can either continue with us if you want to take it to a bigger outcome or you can just say, I'm good, guys. I think I got it. I want to go on mine. That eases off the pressure so much. It's like you're letting the ball coach. And then it's not committing anymore. So the way you frame program length matters a lot on the call. Make sure it doesn't seem like scary. People read, I'm not afraid of paying. They're afraid of committing. That's one. Two is when you mentioned the Loom video when you said, show them what you would do. And I'd say this is a really good example for clients as well. Have you ever, you've, you've had that something. You've explained something 
And to you, it makes complete sense because you've earned that knowledge, but you can see that the client didn't get it. You explain something, you're like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. And you can see that it made no fucking sense, but they don't want to continue the conversation because they're a little bit shy. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do is I ask them specifics and then I would show them what I would do in that situation for you. What makes sense? You got to create a good hook. And these hooks are the best for now. It's a hook A, hook B, hook C. Usually, I would like to take it one step further. So I would ask them, what do you do? I do nutrition coaching, whatever. Okay, so if we were to base it in hook A, this is what I would do. Like, are you, uh, have you been told these lies? Uh, meat is bad for you. Eggs raise your cholesterol. And intermittent fasting is going to hook up your gastric, whatever, right? Here's why these ten, we, the, why these are false, and what you should actually do instead, depending on your situation. When they see you doing the thing for them and you applying it to them, it makes so much more sense. You can see their eyes light up, and that is just a huge change that I apply in my coaching. I don't give you like the high end concepts. I may start with that, or actually, I may end with that. I start with what I would do in your case, and then I end with this is why it works with high end. And when I position it that way, people pay so much more attention than if I just give them the highway right off the bat. I got to relate it to them back. So that's just one thing. If you're coaching and you feel like people are not getting your stuff, try to do it for them. Personalize it for them. You'd be amazed at what, what could happen. Yeah. I think a roadmap is is pretty much what can separate uh, you know zero retention from you know 80% retention. It's just people, you have to have some a North Star for someone to get to. As soon as someone sees no future with you, it's kind of, it's over, right? It's, you know, uh, I think it's important. And, you know, even if you can customize that roadmap or you make it analogous to them, um, I think it's good in the sales, but it could be good in the sales process. It's good in the retention process. It's it's good throughout. It also helps people get better results in your program, especially, especially like treats and clients, right? It's like, where are they on their journey? Like, if they just do the checklist every day, they have no idea where they are. Right? They don't know where they are. Otherwise, they just look at their revenue. But if you have a roadmap for them, uh, for goals for everything, how many followers did they get? How many sales did they get? What's their revenue, et cetera? How many students? Um, you can kind of get them along that roadmap. And you can make a new roadmap every 90 days, right? There's always a new place to go. Um, I think it's important. I thought- you want to talk? Go ahead. Do you want to talk about onboarding? When somebody gives you money, what's your process? And maybe I can go over my own. So to get people to like, you don't want them to cool off. People give you money, you want to keep them hot. Yeah, I we, we've we really upgraded our onboarding process over the last few months. Um, so our onboarding process, uh, once you pay, and I don't really push hard on sales. Um, it's like, I'll send you the contract and the invoice, take care of it when you're ready. Like I don't push. Um, part of that is because I don't work with beginners who sometimes they need that push to impulse buy. Um, but for me, it's like, I don't want to work with someone who's going to ghost an invoice. So I don't push on the call. Um, I think B2C, you should. That being said, once they sign the contract, they automatically get emailed, of course. Um, you know, thank you for your business, this, that, and the other, our values, um, and the next steps. So the next steps, we have an onboarding form. Uh, we actually have an onboarding funnel. So um, it's about two-ish hours uh, of an investment for the for the client, so they have to spend about one to two hours uh, completing all of our onboarding documents, and that's so that we can get everything related to their IP, their life, their story, everything, personal assets, 
um, stuff like that. The form is more technical, you know, the Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, passwords, etc. Uh, percentages, what's your paid in full percentage, what's your revenue, all that good stuff. Do you have a setter? <laughs> That's more for the form. The form's technical. Um, so after they go through the funnel and the form, uh, they go through a kickoff call. And then the kickoff call, we just verify that everything is good to go. Slack access, Google Drive access, Twitter access, all that good stuff. And then we kind of lay out a roadmap and next steps. When are we launching? Our launch process used to be 48 to 72 hours. Now our launch process is at least a couple weeks before we can launch uh, so that we can do proper market research and content, et cetera. Um, so in the kickoff call, we lay out that roadmap, make sure everything's set, um, and then we'll schedule our next calls in which we spend that what, week or two ideating content, creating initial content angles, making sure that they have all of the systems in place, setter and sales process, uh, and then we go ahead and launch. I like one thing that it's, um, you put a lot of the work up front, you make them meet the frog early. I like that because the moment people give you money, like listen to this, everybody, like you're going to be the hottest right there and they're only going to cool down. So if there's big parts of the process that needs to be completed, like you said, the one to two hours form or training, the more you delay it, you might think that you're helping them because, oh, I don't want to overload them, but you're actually hurting them because you're risking when they get colder and then they're not going to do it. And then it's going to be a bad service and a bad relationship. So if there's huge parts of the thing people need to go through, put it as early as you can. If it's health, right? A blood test. They need to do a blood test. Make them do it on day one. Like, yeah. find out what things will you need from them and put the toughest one first. A hundred percent. Because I've sent this onboarding funnel to current clients who I've worked with for like three, six, eight months. Um, and it's much harder to get them to do it because we already have such a dialed in process. Uh, it's very easy to get new clients to do it because it's, it's more of a necessity. Um, but in reality, it's just like you want to get everything you might ever need from the client as early as possible so that you can get the best results. Um, and it does it does do good for retention, you know, makes you look serious because it is serious. Um, it also, in my specific case, um, we need to dial in so heavy on what the client's going to sound like that we need that information, right? The more we get, the more we can put out that sounds like them. Uh, so it's just impossible without, I can't believe I ran my business for like nine months without it. At this point, I used to just do an onboarding form and a kickoff call. It, I can't believe I did that because now I'm just like, it's night and day. Uh, but it's so important is you, you really get the client bought in when you go through a heavy onboarding, whether it's a blood test or it's a two hour training or, or anything like that. You get them bought in there and they learn things about their business from doing your onboarding, which is what I've learned. Like when we're asking things about their clients problems and stuff like that they're like oh, i never really thought of that <laughs> so it, it yeah, can be open it's important when i was i signed up for a cold email guy and um i was excited because i thought they were going to do everything and they did they do everything after day one so in day two they did everything from that day one did they send me this fucking 20 minute google form like 30 minute google form i'm like what the hell is this but if they they i filled it out but if they were to wait one more week, there's not a chance I would have filled that in. And then the service would be bad. I would hate them. They would hate me. And it's just not going to be good. So I everybody can benefit from this. Writing down what are like the key parts of your program. Heaviest ones early. And you and this this there's a good book on this, which you don't need to read the entire book, but the main premise of it is the book called Upstream, which is if you want to have a clean river, there's two ways you can clean a river. 
you can either clean it downstream, which is hard and takes a long time, or you can just not pollute it upstream, make sure all the problems are taken care of before the work. This, what we're talking about here, is upstream, solving the problems upstream so they don't have a time to develop. What I personally do, if it's going to take time commitment from people, you can read this in Atomic Habits too. And, you know, when I when I go over this, it's like, oh, JK reads a lot. I don't. I, I don't read a lot. These are like, you know, I read those. I read like two books. Like, just not. Anyway, back to the thing. He says that people, there were two groups and one group was way more likely to accomplish what they needed to do in terms of like physical rehab, like they got some nerd. If they just, the only change they did was they wrote down what time they were going to actually do it. So you, listening to this, maybe if there's a commitment of time that they need to make every week, what I ask people to do is, hey, can you share your screen real quick? Can you like save in your calendar which times are you going to dedicate to this every week and save it? And you cannot allow anything to be booked during that. Just that activated our web shuttle. People were starting to actually do the thing just because of that little change. It's about making easy, making it hard for them in the beginning so it'll be easy there. I feel like this was important to know. Yeah, I think it, I actually learned it from um, Lucas who did my VSL when he was doing uh, like our onboarding for the VSL. We were just going through so many questions about my target audience. I was like, man, I don't know. Like I have to think about it. You know, what does my audience want? What is their biggest fear? You know, what is all these things? Uh, and you no, know, he... I have that document now, which is great for content and market market research. But um, that was kind of a light bulb moment where it's like you can really most times your clients or anyone that you're signing probably doesn't even know the answers to half. Like it's not even really onboarding. It's it's like a training. It, it is like they have to actually look inwards and be like, wow, I don't know the answers to these questions and it makes them feel bad about themselves because it made me feel bad about myself. I'm like, how do I have this business? I don't even know what my target audience is demographic (laughs) it also made you feel like you needed him right yeah it was good it's it was good stuff so um i think that's important it's it's a it's a good way to cap off your your onboarding and you know increase retention which is how this all started i'll I'll add one sometimes like if you ever have a client that's not sticking to the process and they're not doing you know the things they committed to do i have an analogy i always tell which is when I was uh, with my fitness coach, my previous fitness coach, which was Kurt. One time I complained to him foolishly. Bro, like, we've been doing this for months. How come I don't have a six-pack yet? Like, what's going on? And he would tell me, okay, uh, real quick, let's let's assess what's going on. On a scale of one to ten, how hard are you going on nutrition? I'm like, like a six or a seven. How hard are you going on training? I'm like, eight or nine. And then he just said, now imagine if those were a 10. I'm like, mm, yeah, I guess it's gotten over, right? So I guess I'm the one fucking one. So then when I did that with clients, they're, they're stressing out. And I go over the four tires, which is why analogies are so valuable. I go over the four tires and I'm like, okay, what are you doing here? Is it one out of 10, two out of 10, five out of 10? And then I wreck them. Now I tell them, what do you think would happen if all the, of these were a 10? They're like, oh, I know what to do. Sometimes they just need to be, they just need to see it. You know, you don't need, sometimes it's a coach, you don't need to say it. You just need to let them arrive to the conclusion themselves. You know why these analogies and by the way, what we're talking about here, you and me right now, it, you got to understand your customer and your process really well to be able to pull off a good onboarding, a good analogy like we just did, 
a good like um like escape not escape but uh troubleshooting mechanism if something's not going according to plan you really need to understand your target market if you are want to do these things but once you do and you set up the analogies the onboarding the troubleshooting the upstream strategy we talked about today your product just gets so much better and wins keep stacking up if your clients are not winning maybe you are the problem and when you see it as i am the problem i just feel like it puts you in a better mindset fix it your fault your fault your fault good jump on willing this uh this is good I, this episode got increasingly more tactical as what is like uh i feel like the average revenue of the person who was listening to, at the end is probably higher <laughs> it was increasing yeah which towards the end <laughs> yeah so if you're listening to it right now you're probably making 10 to throw the cable yeah exactly yeah 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 if you if you didn't follow through it's like yeah you're not making that sorry um yeah i want to i want to end with one which was um and i'm gonna i'm gonna let you do one at the end if you want to but one thing that is really useful is people sometimes just need a reason why a reason why to act e-com stores do this very well hey it's the easter sale it's the Christmas sale. It's a 4th of July sale. It's a Black Friday sale. There's no reason why you can't pull that off too. Not a sale, but an event hand raiser. But what it is. If there's an event that's meaningful to your company, or even at the end of every month, you can do a hand raiser. A hand raiser is the simplest poser. I'm looking for 10 people, 5 people, 3 people who want to accomplish a certain goal and want to remove these key points and accomplish this dream outcome. If this is you, send me the DM August, right? Because tomorrow's uh, August. But like, send me August and let's chat. By having those event hand raisers tactically during the year, maybe every quarter, you can have it every month, you can have it at the middle of the year, at the end of the year. Those hand raisers, they may not look like much. This is why they take their um, goals more seriously on January 1st than on July 17th. Because you give them a reason why. And these event hand raisers, if you can set them maybe every quarter, every month, middle of the year, and the end of the year, I feel like it can really drive your revenue up because some people just need that little push to say, fine, I'll work with you. Well, here's a, a perfect way to end it. Um, an analogy that maybe you can use if you need to get force someone to do a hand raiser because they might think it's low authority. Um, that's actually how the chocolate business runs their entire business. It's through seasonality. Uh, I was listening to... I think it was my first millions with um, Mr. Beast Manager. Uh, he hates, uh, we're not, you're not supposed to say Mr. Beast Manager, but sorry. Um, and he was talking about Feastables and the chocolate business and Hershey and how Hershey makes its money. Um, and the chocolate business is extremely seasonal. You get huge surges in chocolate sales on the different holidays, uh, the same way that you would have a hand raise. So they need a reason to buy. So with chocolate, right, you have the Christmas trees and then you have the Valentine's Day chocolates. And then you have the St. Patrick's Day chocolates. And then you have the Easter eggs, like the Reese's eggs. Those are the best ones, right? Then you have 4th of July. And you have October, Halloween, another another big surge. And you, have, you know what I mean? So it's the same. That's actually how the chocolate business makes its money is on the seasonality and the holidays. Same thing with the coaching business. You could have your hand raisers just have reasons to, and you can find many reasons to do your hand raisers, right? It's 4th of July. Like, do you want to spend more time with your family? Come to my coaching program, right? Oh, it's Christmas. You want to have more money to spoil your kids? Hmm, raise me. You, know what I mean? you don't have to do that, but it's the same thing. Um, so if you ever need an analogy, Hershey's billion-dollar company runs their business on uh, on event hand raisers. That was, that was good. I like that. I think we should end it here. I think that was a good note. 
That was good. Exactly one hour too. All right, cool. Well, thank you all for coming. Subscribe for more, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Adios.